Hello and welcome to the Form of Fitness podcast, podcast where I, Nathan Shanes, and my co-host Duncan Bryson will be breaking down the world of fitness into bite-sized pieces of information, such as exercise philosophies, routines, and more. We're glad you're along for the journey. We hope you enjoy the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Form of Fitness podcast. I'm joined by Duncan again today, and today we are going to be talking about muscular hypertrophy. Uh, we're going to be looking at this article by uh, Schoenfeld, and it's basically the article, the study, the meta-analysis um, on muscular hypertrophy. Yeah. Uh, you got anything to say um, about it before we just get into the weeds on it? Well, like it's important to look at like what muscular hypertrophy is and how and what mechanisms kind of cause it because not everyone wants to go through mu- muscular hypertrophy. Hy- yeah. Hypertrophy basically is the accumulation of mass in the muscle, right? Yeah. That's literally what like if you break down hypertrophy, it's literally just mass growth. Yeah. And then you throw muscle in front of it and that's what you get. Yeah. But and I think it even says like they looked at weightlifters, football players, rugby players, and you know mm-hmm. these types of individuals do want to get bulky. They want to get yeah. massive, right? A lot of football players like certain positions, and I don't play football, but certain positions, their job is just not be movable, right? Yeah. Um, Mo- so immobile walls, man. Yeah. But then you have other individuals like I think soccer, volleyball, basketball, where they don't want to get super into this like hypertrophic realm. Yeah. They have a certain mass that's almost like this Goldilocks realm of. Yeah. I have just enough muscle to allow me to dunk the basketball or jump over the net for the volleyball or, you know, kick the ball real far in soccer. But I don't want to have too much because I got to be able to move whatever I have on me for Mm -hmm. an hour at a time, right? Um, You even have, like, bodybuilders who want to grow certain muscle masses while not necessarily grow others, just maintain the size and stuff like that. So... Understanding these mechanisms can really help you understand what you need to do for your specific fitness goals. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's not, I want to get bulky. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think we've we've mentioned muscular hypertrophy before in the podcast, but I don't think we've ever sat down and actually like covered it and much less covered it specifically like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, hypertrophy is just the gain of muscle mass that's it it's mm-hmm. that simple that straightforward that's what it means um and so yeah and i mean as you said like a lot of these different sports players they're in a goldilocks zone of weight and weight distribution mm-hmm. so in some cases and as we've mentioned before on the podcast is that there's not only one way to get stronger. You yeah. don't always have to go through muscular hypertrophy mm-hmm. to get stronger, which is, I mean, the exact thing that a lot of these, um, a lot of these athletes are taking advantage of. And in the case of like some of these power lifters, mm-hmm. a lot of these power lifters, it would like behoove them and be much better for them in their brackets. If they were able to maintain weight, but get way stronger. Yeah. This is how you get higher points is weight class based strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so moving on into like what is this – what is this study saying? So what this study analyzed, right, are the three main mechanisms through which we currently understand my, uh, muscular hypertrophy, those being mechanical tension, muscle damage, and metabolic stress. Um, 
and how those things kind of played a role in muscular hypertrophy. So one thing that is very clear throughout the study is that at the end, it's like, yeah, they're all like, uh, they all kind of, we're not, we're not really sure. (laughs) And so it's like, and that's the issue when you get into stuff like this, it's like, ideally you're going to do enough of all of them. Yeah. But which one's the best for growing muscle? Um, I mean, we don't know which one's the most important, but it's obvious and evident that all of them are kind of important muscle damage as we're getting farther down. They're like, we're not really sure if that's that important, Yeah, but the other two are definitely exceptionally important. Right. Like when you're defining things like this, you also have to understand that, you know, at no point in this study are people allowed to just you know, kill someone, dissect their body and go, huh, what's the, what's the mechanism in their, in their muscle that's going on right now? Like there's very limited things about what you're allowed to do, especially when you say muscle damage. Like how do you define muscle damage? How do you quantify muscle damage? You can look at soreness, which is an okay indication sometimes. All right. You can look at like rhabdo, but rhabdo is only going to appear, you know, in individuals who have like accelerated um, right, muscle damage, and then like you can look at blood t- panels and stuff like that. But again, you're looking at individuals' responses to working out, and sometimes they're not the most accurate, and they're like, not the same. Yeah, like people don't respond the same to the different types of working out as well. And on top of that, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know how you're supposed to individualize these variables mm-hmm. of mechanism, right? I'm. I'm personally not very sure on how you're supposed to separate mechanical tension a whole lot from muscle damage when we're talking about the healthy amount of muscle damage that we're talking. We're not talking about literally like cutting your bicep in half. We're not talking about ripping it at the joint and hoping it grows back. Mm -hmm. Like this, these are the micro tears. This is what we always talk about micro tears to grow your muscles. So that way it repairs it with a stronger form of muscle. Right. That's. And even like your point on the interconnectedness of this thing, it's like, if you talk to anyone experienced at the gym, it's like, how do you get sore? Well, I can make you sore really quickly. And it's by increasing time under tension when you're in your like flexed out state. Yep. And so it would make sense that, you know, tension and like muscle damage are going to kind of correlate together yeah, and not inversely. Um, and they might work together. They might not. It might just be that one right. is the cause of the other. Right. But at the same time, we know that if you do these things, this is usually the result. Yeah. And I mean, you notice on here that soreness isn't an indicator, which a lot of people do think they're like, oh, I'm sore. I worked out really hard. Well, no, you just didn't alleviate the soreness, Mm -hmm. right? And so, like, again, about the thing, you can get sore really quickly, and that's not a good accurate measurement as to how much you're going to grow. You could get sore beyond belief every day. You're going to get stronger. I'm not going to lie. But you want to know why? It's because you're doing the other things too. Mm -hmm. You really don't get to isolate these variables. You don't get the opportunity to isolate these variables. And on top of that, when you're talking about working out, there's not a whole lot of people who go in the gym and do mechanical tension and don't do metabolic stress of some sort, right? Where they're getting their blood flowing faster. They're heating their body up exceptionally Mm -hmm. and, and again, building up lactic acid. I mean, this is all part of, you know, the biochemical system operating, right? It's all part of moving weight, um, generating force, all this stuff. It's Mm -hmm. all part of the same system. So it's like, which one of these is the most important piece? 
again, the study doesn't clearly say that, but it does say some interesting things about things we've already talked about on the podcast, mm -hmm. such as growth hormones, yeah. testosterone, and all these things, right? Yeah. And just to hit back on your like whole soreness thing. And so yeah. it's like soreness isn't a great factor just because also soreness is kind of like keto flu, right? Mm -hmm. Your worst bouts of soreness are that first month. Mm -hmm. You know, CrossFit's kind of notorious for this. It's like everyone goes, well, if you can get through the first month, you'll be here forever. And they're kind of right on that because once you get through the first month, you stop being incredibly sore. I'm almost never sore nowadays. And I go to the gym like five to six times a week. Yeah. Usually the most sore I get is as a result of like a hero workout, which are intended to be like these super long, grueling type workouts. You know, when I did Murph, what when was Memorial Day? Monday. Monday, last Monday, you know. I'm still a little sore from that, but that's because I did a one-mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and a one-mile run, all with a 20-pound weighted like vest on me. Like That's a lot of volume that I squeezed into like an hour and a half. So these things can make you sore, but yeah. oftentimes, especially once you become experienced, like soreness just doesn't happen that often. Yeah. And so one thing I will say is that the study doesn't say a whole lot when we're talking about like macro intake. Um, when it comes to, uh, I mean, let's say like it doesn't say on here, how much protein should I be intaking? That's not a very, very important part of this study. I mean, it obviously hits on the fact that like, yeah, it got enough in. But it's not the crucial part of this study. This study does talk a little bit more about, let's say like some micro factors. Again, like I said, the growth hormones. um, growth hormones, testosterone, uh, insulin in some sorts, mm -hmm. and, uh, and a lot of these things. Because one thing that makes this study so good is that it it goes it, – it is very, very obvious that they took into account that there are a lot of variables. Mm -hmm. I mean like you really, really cannot underplay how many variables there are when it comes into – doing studies and doing tests and stuff like this. Yeah. I mean, like, again, it's, it's a mathematics equation with 455 variables mm -hmm. and a, and a, and a single constant and the constants are your one input. Yeah. And we can just go through kind of all the yeah. variables and like talk a little bit about each. And the first one that's kind of listed is, um, swelling and right. No, go down. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Are we there we go cell, cell swelling. swelling yeah so like and this is know, important i mean yeah. cellular hydration we talk about creatine and yeah. stuff like this this is um, and we even talked about swelling like from a standpoint of like when we talked about our hot and cold episode you mm -hmm. know um cold showers are linked to like decreased muscle growth and kind of that's because you're inhibiting the cell swelling that is important mm -hmm. right um a lot of like physical adaptation is in response to stress and so oh an amount of swelling is important, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want chronic swelling. You know, that's dangerous, especially like when you're talking about risk factors leading to cancer, um, um, Alzheimer's, these types of things. Like you don't want that type of cell swelling. But when it comes to I just worked out mm -hmm. and now I'm, my, my cells are swelling, especially around the muscles that I just used for like a couple hours, that's okay. And that's completely um, like healthy. Yeah, and I mean, as it says here, when we're talking about the swelling being directly linked 
to this this growth. Yeah. This bottom statement right here, it says, given that fast twitch fibers are most responsive to hypertrophy, it is conceivable that cellular hydration augments the hypertrophic response during resistance training that relies heavily on anaerobic glycolysis. I mean, yep. very, very, very clear, I mean, that the swelling the and the quantity of water in your cells is very, very important to this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, again, that was, oh God, that was a long time ago. The creatine episode. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't only on creatine, but again, that's what creatine, it's cells. all about getting water into your cells, all about getting this water um, intake. And I mean, this just, this is just one of the first variables that it talks about. Uh, next one it talks about is hypoxia. Um, as it says right here, hypoxia has been shown to contribute increases in muscular hypertrophy uh, with uh, effects seen even in the absence of exercise. Um, yeah, I mean, hypoxia seems to have additive effect on hypertrophy. And again, that's number two. And there's so many more variables that it takes into account. And it's one thing that I'm a very, very big fan of. And even here down when we're talking about the mechanisms like metabolic stress, mm -hmm. they take into account right here. Um, for ATP production, uh, or metabolic stress uh, manifests as a result of exercise that relies on anaerobic glycolysis for ATP production, yep. uh, which results in a subsequent buildup of metabolites such as lactate, hydrogen ion, inorganic, uh, phosphate, creatine, and others. So, and we're talking about all of these micronutrients as well being both produced, but also us inputting them mm -hmm. and then being useful for this entire process. And yeah. so, I mean, we can take a second and just kind of run through each of these and kind of like isolate what we mean by mechanical tension. I mean, mm -hmm. so mechanical tension, right? As it states, mechanically induced tension produced uh by both force generation and stretch is considered essential to muscle growth and the combination of these stimuli appears to have pronounced additive effect. Yep. This is true. You ask any gym bro that doesn't know any of what those terms mean, he knows this is true. Yeah. When you push the bench press up, that's the part that makes the muscle grow. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the part that forces your body through the hard part. This is what the mechanical tension is. It's the pickup on the deadlift. It's mm -hmm. the up on the squat. It's the up on the bench press. It's it's the, as we talked about it in the eccentric and concentric motion, it's that concentric movement. Yeah. Movement. It's very, very important to do this with power. And this is what mechanical tension is, is when that muscle is extended out or um, it starts at an extended and it goes to a compressed motion, right? That's yeah. mechanical tension. You're forcing your muscle to compress itself to produce as much energy as it can. Yeah. And, you know, another important factor here is it says stretch, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, stretching, they don't mean, you know, stretching down to pick up the bar when you're doing deadlift. Like they, they genuinely mean you have to be able to stretch. You have to be able to elongate your muscle past where they normally are. Mm -hmm. And the, the point of this, uh, I'm assuming is that generally if you don't stretch and you only do like, let's say deadlift squat and bench press, eventually what happens is your muscles start to pull so yeah. much that they actually kind of you lose length in them. Yeah. Um, this they get stronger, yeah. but the thing is, is you lose entire mobility. So like, yeah, yeah you're the guy that can squat mm -hmm. 700 pounds, 
but you can't go below clearance. You can't stand up all the way. You really can't stand up all the way because your quads really just won't yeah. let you bend up to a full leg yeah. extension. Um, um, and this results in a lot of people, especially kind of like in the later 2000s who started lifting when they were 14 or 15. Um, I know a lot of like 30 and 40 year olds who are having to get these types of medical um, surgeries. And essentially what they're doing is they're reattaching biceps or yeah. they're reattaching triceps. Um, mm -hmm. And what that surgery basically is, is, you know, they got to cut it and then they got to reattach it, I think in a lower spot on their arm mm -hmm. so that like they can alleviate these problems. Yeah. And basically all they, and the cure to that is, They've got to make sure they go from extension to compression. Mm -hmm. They've got to go. This muscular tension is the entire like entire thing. Yeah. It's all the way out to the end. And you, if you want to check how to get bicep, you know, surgery in the future, go to the gym and look at the average bro that curls from halfway. Yeah, they all do it. They all do it. They, they especially with preacher curls. Preacher curls is is because honestly, anything past like forty five. On a preacher curl hurts it really does yeah. like that that bottom part of the preacher curl does kind of hurt that's why i don't do preacher curls because it literally hurts my elbows but if you do that so many times you make your bicep very very big very very strong mm -hmm. but you can't do anything from extension yeah and you're gonna have to get that surgery and i don't even want to talk about like the stories i've heard about how excruciatingly <laughs> painful that surgery those surgeries are yeah because if you're getting one you you're not getting one you're getting like five of them yeah because if you went hard enough to get more or to get one in the first place you're gonna end up having to get uh you gotta get for left right bicep uh the quadricep uh and you know maybe even your calf if you're um if you got big calves which uh you probably don't but uh <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so mechanical tension is pretty understandable and as i mean we 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 touched on muscle, muscle damage, damage yeah. but again it's not like absolute just damage of the muscle like like fourth degree burns and you know cut it cutting off and losing part of your arm type muscle damage but it's we know this is whenever you um exercise as it says right here in the first statement exercise training can result in localized damage to muscle tissue which under certain conditions is theorized to generate a hypertrophic response right yep. I mean, we know this. The, we talk about um, micro tears all the time. Yeah. People talk about little micro tears yeah. in your muscle um, and then replacing it. Yep. That's what muscle damage is. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you want to add anything before I move on to medical stress? Or? Uh, no. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Um, but metabolic stress is kind of an important factor here as well. And like, this is the most technical yeah. one when um, it comes to so what's going on. A lot of people think metabolic, it's what I eat and, yeah. and how my body processes energy. And that's kind of right. It's it's basically the net sum of reactions within your body. Yeah. It is essentially what your metabolism yep. takes into account. Um, something that a lot of people like don't fully understand is that we don't burn food in our body, which I think is... I think that miscommunication comes from how we derive the calorie because the calorie is just, you know, we burn the food. The food, I think, spins a fan or something, and then we say, okay, it's this many calories. I think is generally how we figure that one out. 
I know it has to do with burning. I don't know. I'd have to look that um, up. That's actually interesting. Yeah, it's but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a, not a metric of human yeah. usage. Um, so like that's how you get like kind of this idea of well, there's what the nutrition fact says, and then the bioavailability of the food, and yeah. you know we're we're getting somewhere in there. I think nutrition facts have to be like twenty percent. They have to be within the twenty percent accurate range, which is pretty fucking low. <laughs> or no, they're allowed twenty percent error, which is still a lot. Bro, twenty percent error. <laughs> I wish I was allowed twenty yeah. percent error on my tests. <laughs> yeah, like because like twenty percent error on a hundred, let's say a hundred calories, that means you could be eating eighty. That means you could be eating one twenty. Yeah, like which is no big deal until you're eating three thousand calories, yeah. and then you could be eating. 2400 yeah or you could be eating 3600 yeah. which for me is the difference between gaining a pound a week and losing over a pound a week yeah um so yeah when they're talking about metabolic stress it's specifically you know your body being able to convert things into energy as you're going when you're working out mm -hmm. um I don't know if they talk about it here, but we do know that, especially like when you're talking about like these super dynamic workouts, like I think that yeah. that's one of the reasons why CrossFit produces the types of athletes that it does in terms yeah. of like they look muscularly fit and they're generally pretty good at most things that they do outside of the gym. Um, it forces the body to be able to adapt and swap around energy systems, mm -hmm. right? Because you have three. I can't remember the exact names, but it's basically you have this fast twitch, you know, st think all out sprint, and then you have this kind of mid rangey um, yep. energy system, and then you have this long range. Yeah, system. slow twitch. Huh? Uh, yeah. And so, you know, working out makes you better at these things. Um, it makes you ha teach your body how to process this energy um, differently and more effectively. Yeah. And, um, there's other ways that you can, you know, induce metabolic stress, right? That's kind of the whole idea behind fasting mm -hmm. or even fasted cardio, you know, um, basically right. deriving your body of energy from outside sources and then saying, hey, I need this energy. And I'm going to force you to provide it to me. Right. Yeah. And in the case of this, this is speaking about exercise induced me metabolic stress. But there are tons of other types of metabolic stress, which, I mean, we are very familiar with, uh, as we said, any form of stressor on your body's energy production, energy usage, energy creation, anything involving the conversion of what you intake into energy or any form of interaction with energy in your body is metabolic stress in some way, shape, or form. But the exercise-induced metabolic stress that it's talking about here, which is talking about, again, kind of like the lactic acid buildup, the things of this nature where your body is secreting a lot of things. And as it says here, anaerobic glycolysis uh, for ATP production, this is talking about anaerobic respiration, mm -hmm. which is a lot of times spoken about as, you know, this is what happens when your body is running low on air, hence anaerobic. Yeah. It's when most of our lactic acid gets built up in our system is during anaerobic respiration of some sort where your cells are trying to produce energy without the thing that makes energy production easy in the first place, mm -hmm. air. <laughs> yeah. So, and it has to start producing all of these different compounds and things like this. This is the metabolic stress it's putting on and – this is how we talk about that continued effect mm -hmm. of burning yep. because your body's still got all these kind of like leftover. It's like, I don't know what to do with these. <laughs> like I've got to do something with yeah. this, right? Again, in the case of lactic acid, if you don't 
dissipate your lactic acid, you are going to be sore. You yeah. are go- you do- if you don't stretch, do a cool down some sort, which we talked about a lot, you're going to be sore. And yep. that's from lactic acid buildup due to anaerobic respiration, yep. which is why when we talk about getting sore, the very, very clear, and as we said, I can get sore really quickly. Because if I put you on, like the key example is like, that everyone's really familiar with, especially from like gym class, like do a plank for three minutes, do a plank for five minutes. And what you'll notice is that the muscles being in tension for that long generates a lot. Yeah. It doesn't matter how well you're breathing a lot of times because you some you just cannot get that air to your cells fast enough and have them exchange things quick enough for it to be like you're being freshly supplied because I mean, if we're talking about hypothetical, if you could hypothetically exchange your oxygen at a perfect rate of intake and output, then your muscles wouldn't get tired, right? You'd theoretically probably be able to do this infinitely, yeah, right? But again, that time under tension is going to force your body into anaerobic respiration just because your muscles are not getting air fast enough to replace it. Mm-hmm. So it produces all these things. And then this metabolic stress is, it's like, your muscles are like – it's basically the, the the signal to your muscles. Hey, we got to build more of this because yeah. like if this guy's doing this regularly, bro, you know how hard it's going to be. Fucked. No, it, it, it's like, yeah. um, okay, imagine going into work, right, and the amount of work you do always ends up leaving you at work for an hour and a half longer or two hours longer than you're supposed to be. It's like, hey, bro, we it's need like, an intern. Yeah, we need, we, need, we need someone else here, okay? I can't be doing all the shit work in the morning yeah. or like uh, – insert excess extra work that is making us all have to stay over, Mm -hmm. right? We need another person to work. That's what this is like. It's very, very similar. And then one other factor that they do talk about in this metabolic stress bit is um, they talk about sympathetic nerve activity, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a very like interesting and important concept because, you know, basically your sympathetic nerves are kind of the nerves that are responsible for your fight or flight response. And there's a lot of like, kind of observational psychological studies that show that people who work out have cooler heads. And I think part of that is because when you are engaging yourself in, let's say, the heaviest deadlift of your life, right? You're like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. But all you're focusing on is, oh shit, that's heavy and I can't drop this, right? And so that kind of learn to control under these situations Mm -hmm. is not only helpful from a building of muscle standpoint, but also kind of this kind of psychological understanding can control yeah. your body. Um, however, to me, when they're talking about the sympathetic nerve activity, I also think about how there's a little bit of a placebo at, at work here, possibly. Um, placebo trials can be really like cool, and we almost mm-hmm. probably need like a professional doctor who does research to talk about pl- placebo effects. Yeah. Because it's really hard to articulate it correctly. Yeah. But like there are some times where a placebo trial, the placebo does just as well or better than the actual drug, even though the drug does stuff. But they've just been told. Yeah. And so. And so that's kind of what they're talking about here is, you know, what you think about here is I need to be invested in my workouts. Mm -hmm. I need to think that they are going to benefit me. I need to think that they are going to be what is going to cause my muscle growth. Mm -hmm. And then because of that belief, you know, maybe it changes how you do other things throughout your day. Mm -hmm. But also this engagement is going to help you produce muscle. Right. 
and besides the point of what this is talking about, we're not 100% sure how that one works. <laughs> yeah. But I would, I would love for us to get the chance to talk about that as like a full episode. Um, so one thing I do want to say about this study is that they did also talk about training variables uh, and muscular hypertrophy because everyone's thinking, well, mechanical tension, blah, blah, blah. You guys have used a bunch of different examples, bodybuilding, powerlifting, CrossFit, et cetera, mm-hmm. athletes. They literally in here talk about the different – I mean they've got different rep splits and stuff like this and different exercise routines. So they have a bunch of different training variables on here, those being intensity, volume, exercise selection, and rest interval, mm-hmm. uh, as well as muscular failure and uh, repetition speed, which – I mean, when you're talking about variables, that's a lot more variables than I normally uh, remember when I'm planning out my exercise. But that's a lot of variables when it comes to just the training alone. Um, And that really covers almost every different group's maxed out form of variable. Mm -hmm. So like when you think about powerlifters, powerlifters have a very, very large rest interval compared to especially something like CrossFit or even a lot of bodybuilders' exercises. And when you talk about intensity – Intensity is one of those things where if you're transitioning very quickly, you have a low rest interval and you're going really hard to the uh, – essentially as it says here, maximum threshold, um, you are going to expend a lot of energy really quickly. You're going to get hot. Your body's going to heat up really quickly. Um, and this might happen – again, we're talking about the the cell swelling and the, and the water take. Yeah. Intensity is very, very important to this. And then we talk about volume. This is – how many times are we just doing this over and over and over again? It's almost like if you if you do it enough times, is my muscle just going to go? All right, we're just going to get some some more stuff in here. Like yeah. it, even if it's not hard, but we're doing it enough, it might just go ahead and yeah. build some more muscle. Yep. Um, and basically, like if you look at all these different variables, and this is more of like a common understanding of working out, but this is what happens when you take a physicist and you like throw all these things in front of them and you go, what is this? A physicist is going to look at this and they're going to go, this is work. This, mm-hmm. is, wor- this is the work equation, right? Yeah. Work is equal to force times distance. Yeah. And then force is equal to mass times acceleration and then acceleration is equal to change in... Uh, change in velocity, change in velocity over time. time. And then velocity is the change in distance uh, over time. Yep. And so basically when you kind of derive this formula, you're eventually going to be able to solve for volume in like... Intensity, yeah, you know all these different um, factors. Yeah, it's and total so work, right? You're, you're then going to just say, okay, I need my work to be the same as someone else's work, right? And then I should be able to get about the same benefit, assuming that you know I'm taking my proper rest period and that type of stuff, right? And so this is kind of one of those things where, especially nowadays, you start to you we have seen more acceptance of different views, and yeah. that's kind of where this is coming from. Is mm-hmm. you know. There's some people who can squat 50 times at just the bar. Couldn't be me. No, no. <laughs> Couldn't no. be me. I'd feel my knees fall from under me. I, like, I, yeah. I, I, I would hate it. I would hate it. It'd be worse than doing, yeah. you know, f- five rounds of I like, like a 300 five pounds. Five where that fifth one, I feel like I'm about to die. Yeah. It's it's the, not even the crossfitter in me, it's the powerlifter in me. Yeah. You know, I like my five reps at five minutes rest and, you know, but other people, you know, they like to do this insane work. Um, we see that, 
and I think this study kind of talks about it, the 60 to 90 second like rest range is good um, mm. for most like non-compound movements. However, at the same time, they do see that um, three to five minutes is good for yeah. like greater repetitions over multiple sets when training with loads between 50 and 90% of your one rep max. So even they're like, Hey, sometimes rest a little bit. Sometimes rest a lot. And right. it kind of depends on what you're doing. Yeah. It's like, all right, if you're going to take the intensity super crazy high, all right, you're going to need a little bit longer rest interval to yeah. be able to fully recuperate without just basically wasting your time. As it says right here, uh, they so the time taken between sets is referred to as the rest interval. Rest intervals can be classified into three broad categories. Short, which is 30 seconds or less. Moderate, which is 60 to 90 seconds. And long, which is three minutes or more. Mm -hmm. these, these categories has distinct effects on strength capacity and metabolite uh, buildup, thereby impacting the hypertrophic response. Yep. Yeah, this is 100% evident. You talk to any person that goes to gym regularly, they know about the difference and the different use cases for these rest intervals. Um Especially powerlifters. Powerlifters tend to be very, very clued in. Um, they tend to be the guys taking really long rests um, due to the fact that their intensity is very high. And this other variable, which we have not really touched yet, which is muscular failure, yep. which is where you're basically going to the capacity of your m muscles to distribute force yeah. at a given weight, right? So if I've got 45 and 45 on both sides of the bench press and I go to 30, 30 reps, that might be my muscular fail point, mm -hmm. right? That's when I cannot, I cannot do more due to my muscles literally not being able to generate enough energy and enough power to do it again, right? Um, as opposed to like mechanical failure, which is not mentioned in here, which is the different type of uh, failure, which we talked about in a couple episodes ago, actually. Um, and it's important to note that uh, in this study, they conclude that training to failure does not appear to like cause muscular hypertrophy. However, there is evidence that it could increase the potential for overtraining and psychological burnout. Mm -hmm. um, personally, there is a... Like the psychological thing, especially, I think that that's more tied to people not wanting to fail. Yeah. Right? Like people don't like failing. However, yeah. training like five by five at a CrossFit gym, usually the goal is that the fifth rep of your fifth set should be this grueling movement that, you know, 50% of the gym should probably fail. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and then not only are you you know expected to fail but you're praised for allowing yourself to fail which is very important because like for some people that's i i found my limit you know um and then also that kind of stops this whole psychological burnout from from being mm -hmm. a thing yeah and even if you're saying okay this isn't going to confer hypertrophic benefits it might confer psychological benefits like confidence knowing where yep. you are knowing what you can do and then also like if you're one of these people who are really big into percentages you know doing five reps where the fifth sucks or you fail all of a sudden you know okay at five reps this is my max right this yep. is my one rep max based off of these five reps which is hard to know if you don't train to this muscular failure yep and again this is important, but they do talk about it here as a variable, as well as repetition speed, which is something that 
I don't think we've talked about repetition speed at all in yeah. regards to anything, and especially when it talks about cadence. I take that back. We have talked about repetition speed just a hair mm-hmm. when we talked about the different types of movements. When we talked about eccentric, concentric, and yep. isometric movements, we spoke about repetition speed because we talked about we talked about the one minute pull up and things like that. I mean. Mm-hmm killer, brutal, those are all going to do different things. And that's very evident because if I'm just, if I'm doing a slow controlled five second descent and five second um, extension on a bench press, that is going to have a lot different implications than me just moving it as if I was just repping it on a, however long it takes me to do that one second, one and a half seconds, two seconds, doesn't, doesn't really matter. But those have very, very different implications, especially on muscle growth as well as on uh, fatigue and other things like that. And while we do know that it helps a lot with like the amount of weight you have the capacity to move, mm-hmm. um, it's unclear just how much of that is like a hypertrophic effect and how much of that is like a neuromuscular effect of just because you're having to go slow, because you're having to focus so much on the movement, your ability to understand how to engage the individual muscles, where you need to be at each specific like period in time. And that that'll help you even when you start going faster. Yep. You know, it's like um, if you watch like most people who critique squat, the first thing they go to is is that bar moving straight up and straight down? Yep. Right. And then if it isn't, let's fix that. Well, one way to fix that is just have you go really slow and really focus in on it. Right. Yeah. And then just you being able to go straight up and straight down, that's going to increase the amount of weight you can move. Right. Um, and while you being able you you changing the form might not directly change the hypertrophic response. Weight capacity does. Mm-hmm. The amount of weight you're moving does. Yep. You know, and so when we're getting more efficient and we're removing the variables that are bad form yep. or anything like that, I all of a sudden you're doing better. Yeah. And that's one of my big things when it comes to when I'm getting a friend into the gym or if I'm helping someone else who's new to the gym. My biggest thing is I really don't care what weight you can do. All I care about is that you do the form correctly. Mm -hmm. Now, for some people, some people need a little bit more weight so they can feel the tension to be able to do the form properly. That's kind of how I am sometimes. If I don't have enough weight, I feel like I can't focus on the form, right? Or if I'm not doing it slow enough, Mm -hmm. I can't focus on the form. Form is very important. Um, It's not a variable that they speak about here, but again, the, that's not really the, yeah, that's, the, not, that's not a variable that's supposed to be a constant it's not the focus that they it's supposed to be a constant good form yeah <laughs> a proper proper motion yeah and usually they're looking at like professional athletes yep. or um, people who have been in the gym for such a long time because yep. newbie gains would throw the study off and they're they're trying to get rid of as many variables as possible right so they would go for individuals who you know, or maybe athletic trainers, that type of crap. Yeah. And again, this study is basically the basis for most other studies that have occurred in regards to this. So, or at least specifically talking about these mechanisms of, you know, hypertrophy. So like later on studies that I've read that are basically follow-ups to this or like more isolation on one specific thing do also take into account people along different um, scales of like, time frame in regards to how long they've been working out mm-hmm. there's the all right one to three month group there's the three to six month group there's the six to one year month or one year group um and then there's also the group that's people from 
year one to year three, and then people that have been there for year three to year eight, and then people that have been working out for more than a decade. Mm -hmm. So, and just seeing how these different people respond to, you know, different exercises and, and then all of these different things and then how is muscular hypertrophy affected by that. And we'll probably end up talking about those in a later episode too, just because that's a very good topic to talk about is time frame yeah. of your workout and uh, in regards to how much you're going to gain. But as far as I'm concerned, um, this article, this study meta-analysis is a great read. It, If you read through this and you go, I don't know what that is, look it up and – you, you'll be the most knowledgeable person that you probably know on muscular growth. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. This is a very, very key cornerstone document to understanding muscle growth, as well as when it comes to, as we spoke about in a couple episodes ago, programming. If you understand like what your goal is and how you're going to do it, this is very important to understand. So mm-hmm. I'm going to have this in the description below. So if you are interested, just make sure you go click on it. The link will be there. And uh, you got anything else to add? I think no. we beat every part of this article up. So, uh, And uh, with that being said, I hope you guys go give this a read. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. See you.